Gracias for pressing play y welcome to Smart Chickens, a working together smarter diversity meets innovation and growth podcast. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, Phil Shane. He's a world-class sportscaster featured prominently on ABC, ESPN, Fox Sports, Bein Sports, SiriusXM, and many more networks, channels, and stations. Today, in addition to calling soccer matches such as Super Clásicos between Real Madrid and Barcelona, alongside the legendary Ray Hudson, he's launched his own company, VoiceGoals.com, providing voiceover, voice acting, and narration around the world. We have a very real and candid conversation around his journey from his career at various radio stations in New Jersey and Ohio before his love of the beautiful game led him to Texas to work for a minor league soccer team. A return to South Florida led to a return to broadcasting and the start of his television career. He gives us some universal insights on how to pursue your career goals while not jeopardizing your health and family time values. We discuss his point of view on how soccer leagues around the world have done to reopen up their leagues to anxious fans in Germany, Spain, England, and soon here in the U.S. to the MLS, Major League Soccer. We also discuss what the future of a C-19 sports outlook or reality could be or how it's shaping from his perspective. As always, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at digitechie.com, a conversational marketing demand gen and revenue accelerator consultancy, helping B2B companies achieve six to seven figure pipelines consistently. And gypsyforever.com, a uniquely handmade wellness products that help you connect your mind, body, and soul to achieve a better balanced you. Some fun facts about Phil. He was the first voice of Major League Soccer, serving as the lead announcer for the first five years of MLS existence. He has announced games in three different World Cup tournaments, 1994, here in the US, 98 in France, and 2006 in Germany, and three different Copa Americas, 93, 95, and 2015. He provided commentary for EA Sports FIFA 2000 soccer video game. Him and his family have participated in mission trips to Honduras for the past five years. He enjoys swimming, biking, golf, and even kicking the ball around when he has time. He loves to read, listen to audio dramas and old-time radio and watch British TV shows like Sherlock and Doctor Who. His grandmother, Adrian Ames, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and his grandfather, a renowned architect, has had his work exhibited at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. So... Vamos, let's dive into the show. And without further ado, here's Phil Shane. Mr. Phil Shane, welcome and welcome to Smart Chickens. Good morning and thank you for, for being a, a special guest on this episode. Uh, pleasure to be here. So, Always a good day to talk. Yeah, so you and I know, know each other a little bit by, by meeting at, at, at one of my previous consulting assignments at an agency. But I've actually seen you and followed you on being sports for many, many years, mm -hmm. and before that, even the MLS, right? So, for, for for our listeners, tell them a little bit about your 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 background, your story. Well, I know we have a, a while to go, but uh, I guess to give you the nickel tour, grew up in South Florida. I was born in California, but uh, moved out here when we were when I was six months old. Uh, so pretty much South Florida was all I knew, and. It was, I guess, a typical American childhood. I was, I was a huge sports fan, and I was probably the first kid in line to grab the Street and Smiths or the Athlon Guide or who's who in American baseball. Uh, but at a certain point, I think it was probably right around when I was 10 or 11, uh, and it's kind of strange when you consider how many avenues there are to watch soccer nowadays, uh, PBS was the source of soccer uh, in the United States because on uh, Saturday and Sunday at noon, you had soccer made in Germany and star soccer. And just listening and seeing some of the greatest players in the world at that point uh, just kind of triggered something. And me and my friends would watch uh, and then hop on our bikes and race to the park and hop over the fence and try and duplicate what we had just seen on, on television. And that went on for a while. And I kind of fell in love with the sport. And then the next thing you know, you blink and the Fort Lauderdale strikers had popped up. I mean, I, in the background, I knew Pelé was here. I knew that Beckenbauer was here. Uh, but when all of a sudden they made the, the short jump from Miami to Fort Lauderdale, it became real. 
And I remember piling into the bus with my friend's mom, and it would be like six, seven, eight of us in this Volkswagen bus driving up to Lockhart Stadium, and she'd drop us off. And uh, it, it was just amazing to see Gerd Muller and Nene Kubias and Gordon Banks and a certain teenage Ray Hudson at that point. And that even more so made me fall in love with the game. So I was this, this little kid who would sneak a transistor radio to bed and just kind of move the dial fraction by fraction to catch a game in Atlanta or Cleveland or St. Louis or New York. And I, I remember even hearing Vince Scully do a Dodgers game somehow. I have no idea. But uh, it, it, I was just this, this kid that loved sports, loved soccer, and was fortunate when I went to high school. It wasn't over there, but they had a, in North Miami Beach High, they had a radio production, television production, and you learned all the technical aspects. You got a chance to talk on microphone. Um, I hope they've burned all those tapes because I don't know what you want to think about how bad they would be, but it, it just gave me another love or a chance to express something that was already in me. Not to the point where I thought this is what I want to do for a living, but that when it came time to pick a school that along with whatever forestry, soccer, foreign languages, that radio and television would be there and not just journalism. I mean, I looked at university of Missouri, Columbia, et cetera, where, where uh, uh, Cronkite went and looked at a few of those, but I would, I wanted something where I could just go and, kind of sink my teeth into more just because it was something that I enjoyed. Now, along the way, uh, ended up going to Bowling Green, graduating four years later, got a job in New Jersey uh, doing radio sports and news. Um, and that was the same time. It was the biggest news station in New Jersey, which doesn't say much because you're kind of sandwiched between New York and Philadelphia, right. but uh, they were the Rutgers flagship station. And that was the time where Bob Riasa was the coach. Alexi Lalas was a freshman and Peter Vermees was a senior. So they had a really good team coming up. And Bob Riasa was a good coach, a great recruiter, and an amazing marketer. And he actually talked the station into doing a soccer coaches show, just like the football coaches shows you hear. And needless to say, I kind of uh, uh, annoyed my boss to the point where he just handed it over to me for year two. And that got me noticed. Uh, so all of a sudden, I get a phone call from Patterson, New Jersey. They had a game going on back in the old APSL. And they said, we're doing this game on local television. We'd like to come up and do it. Okay. But for personal reasons, I ended up going back to Ohio, started my own coaches show uh, at the station I was at. And that got me noticed. And all of a sudden, there was an Olympic game in Dublin, Ohio, between the U.S. and, and Panama. And someone calls me up out of the blue. Hey, would you like to do it? And it just kind of struck me at that point. Okay. This was, again, still that decade drought where there was no top flight soccer. Right. But you ended up having 1990. You ended up having uh, the World Cup being awarded and the, the talk of MLS. But it was just one of those situations where I'm thinking, I know I want to be involved in soccer somehow. And I'd love for it to be broadcasting. I ended up working for a minor league team in Dallas, an amazing year. Um, had the chance to meet Hugo Sanchez and, and Thomas Dooley as they both came in with their teams. And, but then things kind of dried up and I came back to South Florida when the Marlins started because this radio station went all sports. And I think it was this, the second or third person they hired. Um, but the bad part of that was they went to Joe Robbie stadium, which was kind of built for the world cup. It was going to be one of the semifinal places, but because the Marlins were there, they ended up moving all those games up to Orlando but I got a chance and did some A-League soccer on local cable and just piled all that together. And I guess I was too stupid not to know that it wasn't good enough. And I just sent it to ESPN. And a couple months later, I get a phone call. And I'm thinking, okay, well, the World Cup's right around the corner. Maybe they're still looking for an announcer. And uh, Dennis Deniger, who was the coordinating producer, said, well, all the World Cup stuff is already assigned, but would you be interested in Major League Soccer? And... I, my eyes just just went wide open. I said, of course. But it was pushed back another year from 95 to 96 for economic reasons and things. But they, they got off the ground. And I'm just saying, okay, it's great to be considered somehow. And I was like in the, the tw list of 20. And then it was the list of 10, then five, then three. And then the next thing you know, 
I'm not, I don't know if I was the number one choice, but I know one of the guys was doing NFL stuff and couldn't do it. And he was up in Cleveland. And next thing you know, on a certain uh, spring day in San Jose, I'm calling the very first game of Major League Soccer. And it was, I, I say it was more a passion than a plan, which yeah. I guess in some ways is better because it's not as though it's so clinical and you're just putting a formula together. You kind of follow your dream and sometimes it comes true. Yeah, wow, that's an amazing story. And I know that, um, you know, they say that success happens at the intersection of preparation meets opportunity, mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, you were preparing all along for a role like, yeah. the, you know, top, the top announcer for the major league soccer. Luck, luck is the residue of hard work and desire. And, and it, I was, but uh, it's, again, you never know how God's going to use it. You, it. you put all of that work and you focus in and then something pops up and it might not be when it might not be where you planned, but uh, I think not worrying about what's happening if you will. Don't worry about the immediacy. Just kind of keep your eyes focused, not on the prize, but just uh, on the goal, what fulfills you. And that way it doesn't matter because there were, there were times along the way where the money was really tight. And uh, in this business, news and sports, uh, I mean, there's a lot of alcoholism, drug addiction, divorce, and uh, bankruptcy, things like that. There's a lot of bad things that can happen along the way. And I, I kind of remember a story to go off on a slight tangent. Uh, Dan Rather went to the University of Missouri-Columbia. He was the uh, uh, keynote speaker the, on the graduation, and they mm -hmm. introduced him, and they're running through all the accolades. And I mean, this was before some of, of what happened later in his career, but he was one of the top journalists in America. And he comes out and he congratulates all the graduates and then starts running through this litany about all the bad things that will happen. And the dean who invited him is like jaw dropping on the floor. Uh, and then he kind of wraps things up, wishes him well, closes. And the dean comes up and asks him, why did you do that? And he said, anyone who changed their mind about what they wanted to do with their life because of what I said wouldn't have made it anyway. You have to realize there's going to be bad things. That's just part of life. Uh, it's, it's how you deal with it. It's, again, getting back up on the saddle. Get knocked down nine times, get up 10. And uh, I guess I was fortunate enough to keep getting up. Either that or stupid enough to keep getting up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a good insight that you're, you're bringing because some of the listeners here are, are in the crux of, you know, career changes mm -hmm. because of what we're going through right now. A lot of folks have, have gone through, um, you know, being furloughed or are being displaced in terms of their career. And so that that notion of, you know, kind of, being having your convictions and 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 thinking about your goal on a daily basis mm -hmm. uh, without also maybe you know w without also being too hard on yourself because i think true i think that's also you, another you thing be your own worst enemy yeah it, you know there's a great book i just read uh by trevor moad and he's talking about uh he's one of the i don't call him a guru but uh and it's not even really psychology or psychiatry or anything like that or motivation but he's one of the guys that works with Russell Wilson, the quarterback for, for Seattle. And his point is that what you say to yourself has about a 10 times more impact as what anyone else says to you. And negativity is seven times more powerful than a positive comment. So if you say something negative about yourself, that's 70 times more powerful than someone saying, great job. Uh, so in some ways you can destroy your, yourself. And, you talk about what's going on with the economy right now. And I, it's, it's so much more than that. I mean, it, from the riots, the protests, uh, what's going on with the lockdown, what's happening right now is fear. And a lot of that is getting expressed in various ways. Some of it can be external, some of it can be internal. And you and I, I mean, you know my story a little bit, but it wasn't that long ago, less right about a year ago, because of what was going on at the economy then, which right. seems like the good old days. Um, being sports basically laid off all of the announcers and hired us back on freelance contracts. And I've, if you've been in this business before, you're used to getting fired. In fact, the, there's an old joke, you're not really in this business until you've been fired. Uh, but it was a golden parachute, it was a lifeline. At least I knew there was some money coming in for certain months. And in the past, it would have really freaked me out. 
And especially with a mortgage, with kids, we just started fostering. So now all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, am I going to be able to bring enough money into the point where that's still going to be able to continue? Um, but this time I just felt a peace and I maybe it was God just above me letting me realize that he had it and it was never me to begin with, but just to the point of go ahead, this is giving you an opportunity because in broadcasting, you end up being on contracts, which limit what you can do. So I finally realized that in this situation, it could have been so much worse. And if anything, this was an opportunity. Uh, I'm trying to remember who I first heard it from. They said the worst day of their life was the day they got fired. The best day of their life was the day they got fired because all of a sudden just opened all these possibilities. And I was able to start my business. And now a year on, uh, I'm starting to see the green leaves, the fruit. It's uh, never would have happened if that day hadn't happened. So like, sometimes it takes a little manure, I guess, to get the plant to grow. <laughs> I like how you put that. But, but that is true. So they say that also, you know, um, necessity is a mother of invention. True. And you reinvent yourself, right? And I think what a lot of folks are doing and the folks that I've had the pleasure of having as guest speakers on some of these other episodes, uh, they all have some, some form of that, right? Which is how are you uh, pivoting? How are you reinventing yourself? How are you taking what you have? Um, you know, not to say that you have got to take, you know, given lemons, make, you know, lemonade mm -hmm. to a certain degree, right? But you want to punch that lemonade in the face sometimes because of what's going on right now, right? It wasn't, it wasn't expected no. uh, at, at, at a global level, right? But everyone internalizes it to their own world, right? So we know what's happening globally, but we all have to live within our own world of what's happening to us. What's However, to that doesn't need to cripple you. And I, I think so many times, and me included in the past, uh, and who knows how this story is going to end. It, hopefully it doesn't have a tragic ending, but uh, that's what is. It doesn't necessarily define what's going to be. Those are the cards that are in your hand, but it doesn't necessarily mean those are the cards that are going to end up there. So yes, that is the foundation that you're building on. And maybe there's certain things you have to go back and shore up. Uh, maybe you need to go back and get a degree. Maybe, uh, maybe you need to uh, work at McDonald's for four months until you can get a better car, which will allow your, who knows? I mean, the, but that's what is, you still have to keep your eyes on what you want to be, what you feel you're calling, what you feel your purpose is. Um, and, and you're talking about pivoting. And I know that seems to be a, a common phrase nowadays. And people talk about side gigs and everything else, but I think more than anything, that's not going to work unless it's directed in the direction that you're destined to go to. Uh, otherwise, you're constantly going to be pivoting like a compass with a magnet around it. You're never going to find where your true north is. Um, so in some ways, it, the straightest line might be between two points, but sometimes you have to zig and zag to get there. So maybe your, your goal adjusts as you get some experience. Maybe you realize, and this is one reason I know a lot of counselors, a lot of parents tell their kids, okay, Pick a major, but wait a couple of years until you actually do. Uh, find out what you might like. Maybe you, you go, you want to be a sportscaster, and then all of a sudden you take your first geography class and you realize, wow, this is what I really love, or vice versa, or maybe uh, just some stupid elective uh, that you never really wanted to take, but it was the only one that was open, and all of a sudden your eyes open up, and that's something you want to do. Uh, and doesn't even need to be with that. Could be something you do on the side. Could be some craft, some skill that you have that actually brings you joy. There's a slight negative to that as well. Um, and you could probably relate because a lot of times in this business, you're never off. And let me talk about the alcoholism and everything else in journalism. A lot of that has to do with the fact that something could happen at any particular point. And for me, example, uh, games are on weekends. And that's when I work. So my family had to put up without me for a long time. Uh, thanks to modern technology and Gold TV and BN, at least I was able to sleep in my own bed most of the time. But uh, it can tear a family apart in some ways. So there is sometimes a benefit to work in that nine to five job that's putting food on the table and you know at five o'clock, you punch the clock, you're done. 
And now you become dad again. Now you become the husband again. And your real life begins, if you will. You don't want to be in a situation where you hate punching the clock at nine in the morning. You still want to like what you do, but it doesn't define you. And I think that's something you're also kind of alluding to. I don't know if any of your other guests have talked about. In situations like this, one of the things that can really destroy people is their identity is so wrapped up in their work. Not talking career, but their work. And now all of a sudden that's taken away and they feel as though there's nothing left. Uh, the work should be an extension of you. It should be something that you like. You should put yourself into it, but you should also realize that it is not you. Maybe it's part of you, but even that, just because maybe this person is not paying you to do this does not mean that you still can't do that either on your own or for someone else. So uh, those negative thoughts can cripple you. And I, I think in some ways, uh, the best thing you can do is just keep moving. Try and find that, the people talk about door slams in your face, another one opens or a window opens, or you know what, grab a crowbar and, and make one open. So you just got to keep moving. You can't just sit there and feel sorry for yourself. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Interesting you say that. I mean, other folks that I've spoken with, when they talk about, you know, it, we all talk about work-life balance, but the truth is there is really... It's blended, right? It's a flow. Um, your, your, you know, your, 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 your children are older, obviously, so there's less uh, of of having to be, you know, hundred um, percent at attention. You know, I have a, a, I'm on the fourth floor. I'm 45, you know, and so I, I think I lived a little and know a little bit, right? I got way, way, way more to go, but I have a three and a five year old, right? So for my wife and I being working parents, uh, you know, she's got an e-commerce business. I'm doing my my consultancy. And so that work-life balance becomes very blended and, and more so now because of the pandemic that you That's do have point. to, you, you do have to not, um, you know, it's very difficult to just say, you know, you're, you're turning it off at five because my five could be 10 o'clock at night when they're sleeping and I actually got to actually, I can actually get some hundred percent focus time. Right? Well, I think the key, and, and you could probably relate to this. I just heard something the other day uh, on Sirius, I think it was Ariana Huffington. Um, and she's, she didn't come up with these, but she acquired certain rules. What is it? I think it's thrive, not thrive.com, but, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, for she's got a whole book around the, the amount of sleep you should get. And that's huge, by the way, sleep and, and you kind of blow it off. And I know I'm the type of guy and even going back to college, um, give me three, four hours a night, I'll be fine. And then maybe on Saturday, I'll sleep 12 hours. Um, as you get older, that's a little bit harder to do. When you get kids, that's impossible to do. So the best thing, if you can, is get that seven to nine and your body knows what it is. Uh, and you know what? Hey, uh, naps aren't just for kindergartners. If you can sneak one in, uh, that's what happened a couple of days ago. Woke up at 420 in the morning, got a whole bunch of stuff done by, by 830 and actually went back to bed for a half hour and started the day again. It was amazing. But uh, the key would be in the situation you're talking about, not working through until 10 o'clock and letting those kids go to bed without even seeing you, or maybe just give them a little hug and a kiss. That's, that's not being a dad. And her point was find a time, whatever time it is and understand again, your first priority is being a husband. Your second is being a father. Uh, where do, what are those blocks that cannot move? And in some ways, working at home can be a luxury, can make it things more difficult, but you put this here, this here, and then find the gaps. And admittedly, something might change. You might have a Zoom call here. Maybe someone asks, needs something for an emergency this week, but you try and set those, those rocks in the sand. And you know what? Kids fall asleep at seven, eight o'clock, and then maybe spend a half hour with your wife, hour with your wife. You watch some silly show on TV or just sit in the back and, and talk. And then you know what? Hey, honey, I got to go finish something up. I'll I'll be right back. And again, the key is take care of what's truly important. Get your priorities straight, and, and kind of work around that. It's not easy. I'm uh, I've been doing this even a little longer than you, and I'm still figuring it out, and I'm still screwing it up every so often. But uh, I think just having that mindset of remembering what you're working for. And trying to keep that as the focus, because it isn't easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this post-COVID nineteen, pre-COVID nineteen, either mm -hmm. way you look at it, you know, people have had to um, to adapt, right? 
and and change a bit um, their their work life uh, or their, their their the way they're balancing it all. Um, getting to to this to the you know the obviously the 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 industry you cover right the sports industry the sports business industry because you know many of us watching it as fans we see it as fans but you've got a different lens I I think I could be you know presuming but you know the business behind the sports as well. So in, in this case, specifically soccer with global pandemic, you know, I think Bundesliga in May, May 15th, May 16th might have been the, when they reopened. And Germany was one of the first um, around the world to open up a sports league. Um, talk, talk to me through that or talk to us through, through a little bit of what you've seen and you know, how that transitioned into La Liga and what that's meant in, in a way to uh, the sports journalist broadcasting community. Like I mentioned earlier, I think so much of what's going on is fear-based, but that's individual. I mean, at the same point, you're talking about a team, a league, a government, a federation, et cetera. Uh, they have certain responsibilities beyond the individual. And especially when you think back to some of the Champions League games that involved cross-border travel and ended up increasing the infection. Now, I think there's an argument that, in fact, I just saw something from uh, someone who studies viruses and, and things that, in effect, what we have right now is a severe cold. Most people don't realize the, the COVID-19 is a coronavirus. Colds are coronavirus. Um, and while you can look at that and realize uh, a mask might help, it might not help. Social distancing might help, it might not help. A lot of that is just a personal choice. But when you are inviting 40,000 people to your home or 80,000 people, that all of a sudden becomes more of a reality. Sure, maybe if you don't have a pre-existing condition or if you're not 80 years old but maybe you have a grandmother who's living with you maybe your daughter has an issue uh and it's not just the players it maybe it's the guy that mows the lawn maybe it's the guy that's that's uh selling the tapas who knows i mean you, you're you're you, everyone falls into these decisions so you can understand why there was a hesitance. Initially, the hesitance was to pull the brake because people are thinking, no, it's just going to blow over. Uh, now, if you look at the curves, you can see there tends to be that very dramatic hit at the beginning, and then things kind of move on. But we didn't know that then. So all of a sudden, you're seeing these skyrocketing numbers, and they pulled the plug. And now they're trying to see what's going to happen after. And Germany was fortunate. Maybe it's due to climate, maybe it's due to genetics, maybe it was due to exposure, but they saw the way the curve was trending and uh, they were first on board. They were the guinea pigs, if you will. And even here in the States, NWSL and MLS, they did it a little different way. They tried to go into the bubble. Uh, part of that is because the United States is such a gigantic country. Um, in Germany, you hop on a bus, you hop on a train, uh, 45 minutes later, you're there. Here, 45 minutes, maybe you're still in line at the airport. So uh, there, there's that understanding that we are getting along the way that has now kind of opened the door. Uh, the, this is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, not so much at the end of this season. This, this has an asterisk on it forever. Uh, it doesn't take anything away from what a Liverpool did, from what a Real Madrid did, from uh, – but – it was um, very unusual. Uh, next year, there's going to be some unusual situations. It's going to be a very short off season. Uh, for some, uh, I know Liga starts up again in what a couple of weeks, and a few weeks after that, uh, much of the rest of Europe is going to is going to start away. Uh, MLS has already have plans for the end of the month, and they're all talking about starting to invite fans. We saw that at some of the cup games, uh, where maybe it's. Uh, 5,000 people here is to talk about 25% here. Uh, sooner or later, we do have to figure out, and these are all decisions that they have to make, that we as fans have to make. Uh, there's going to be a day when those stadiums are packed again. And right now, if you were a player and they said, 
would you go? That's a decision you have to make. If you're a fan and you have tickets to the Champions League final, would you go? Is the, the season opener for next year, would you go? And fear makes the mind uh, sharper in some ways and more uh, foggy in others. And everyone's affected differently. So uh, from a league perspective, the one thing that was also on the outside is just the economics. Yeah. Not so much Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer didn't make a ton of money on broadcasting to begin with. All of their money was from the gate, uh, and, or a lot of their the percentage was from the gate. But what they wanted to do was stay front of mind. And not saying they wanted to take a marketing advantage, but they realized they needed to keep the product out there. And the rest of the world, though, that has a more established, mature uh, soccer system, they had contracts to fulfill. Um, and a lot of these clubs, people were talking about some of the lower division clubs, forget lower division clubs, uh, like even the Premier League, which is the richest soccer league on earth. You're probably looking at about a quarter to a half of those teams would be in deep financial straits if they had not resumed. Um, and that's from a league in good, per, in good footing, uh, was not the same in Spain, was not the same in Germany. They needed to get out, put product on television to try and get money coming in. And they were able to do so rather successfully to some point, um, dramatically in others. Uh, but you just kind of wonder, when do we get back to normal? Is there a normal anymore? Right. Well, I mean, I, I saw, you know, um, a game where I think it was Barcelona, and I can't recall the, the opponent, but you know, the Liga and other, um, you know, uh, leagues in Europe that, that opened up um, are doing it with no, no fans, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that, as a former player, I, that's got to be a very psychologically, um, you know, kind of um, toll, uh, tolling. And, and, and by, by all means, putting everything in perspective, someone who is furloughed and who yeah. doesn't know how they're going to pay their rent versus a multi-million do dollar athlete, in a league that's billions of dollars and an aggregate, right? People would say, well, who cares? But this is their livelihood as well, right? And so sure. how does, how have you seen that impact? Because there was, there uh, in, in your, in, you know, in being sports, they did a, a, I think, um, a very kind of like a, like almost like a close up. When you guys have the close up, the cam that showed a messy, the, the, you know, uh, arguably, but not so arguably the, the, the world's best soccer player in the world and maybe uh, of all time who you could just see him very disconnected, like in a game where, where you're not feeling 70,000, 80,000 fans, where mm -hmm. you feel there's an emotion that that stadium and the fans transcend um, off of, the, off of the, the stadium into, into the field in a way. To, to see certain players that, that, that are, just seem a little bit off their game or just not there, do you think that that's, you know, in, in your circle, when you talk to your colleagues, it, has there been some, um, you know, some, some, some discussions around that? You know, what's that experience like without having the fans for the players? Well, in Germany, uh, I remember watching some of those earlier Bundesliga games, and the Bayern games were okay to start. The Borussia Dortmund games were okay to start, but pretty much every other game was practically unwatchable because of what you're talking about. Now, from a playing perspective, and you and I have played to some level, nowhere near what those guys are doing. But you know what? You roll the ball out, you play. Yeah, there's something about the sport. And I, from my personal perspective, I mean, I've done World Cup games. I've done Classicos. I've done all the MLS, et cetera. Uh, but I can get just as much joy out of watching my kids play for their club team as I do watching Real Madrid go up against Barcelona. There's something about the sport. And as right. a player, same thing. You roll the ball out, competitive nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and... There's still, though, for example, some of the earlier games that came on that we did, and I think it was Sid Lowe that mentioned in some ways, it's a pure soccer without the fans, a pure, I don't call it a game, but it's still lacking something. You can appreciate the creativity, you can appreciate the tactics, but the fans, and maybe it's like going back to the Coliseum and you let the lions loose. But the fans turn it from a game into a sport. And all of a sudden, you can sense that passion. You can sense all the, uh, all the underlying emotion 
And you're right, in some ways that's been lacking. And all you have to do is just take a look at what all of these television networks and broadcasters have been doing by funneling in and, and paying probably a decent penny to have some audio engineers come up with a, a, a mixtape of the best crowds. Um, and then also to be able to ride the wave as though this is what would have happened if there were fans in the stand. And they've done tremendously. And like I said, the first few games we did without crowd, uh, I appreciate it, but there was something a little lacking. Mm -hmm. As a purist, someone who is about as Luddite as you can get when it comes to this sport, forget goal line technology, forget VAR, it's human, it's sport. People are going to make mistakes, that just adds to it. Um, but I did not like the concept of putting a fake crowd behind. But from a product perspective, as I'm just sitting there, and especially with the cameras zoomed in, maybe you're not really even seeing the crowd to begin with because they, they've kind of lowered the field a little bit and you, you don't see empty seats or they put the, uh, the digitized graphics behind where the fans would normally be. Mm -hmm. It does, you almost forget that we're living in this bizarro world. Uh, and it does make things, at least for that brief moment, feel right again. And that's really what sports is. I mean, sports is something we invented so we don't go out and kill each other. And to amuse ourselves for those two hours where we can just take everything that's weighing on our shoulders that we talked about before, just put it on the shelf, say, okay, I'll pick you up later. But right now, I'm just going to throw everything I am into this. So you're right about those multimillionaires, which is in some ways very interesting when we're talking about the politics of this, that the viewership for La Liga, the viewership of the Bundesliga, the viewership of the Premier League, uh, skyrocket, viewership of Major League Soccer, NWSL, the ratings were tremendous. But then you take a look and – not to get into the politics of the situation necessarily, but with the whole, not necessarily even Black Lives Matter, but some of the other stuff that's gone around that. Um, and you're looking at the ratings for Major League Baseball and, and for the NBA have plummeted. Yeah. Because, again, sports is escapism. And when you're watching all of these soccer games, for the most part, all of that extraneous stuff, all of that other stuff, maybe even stuff that's in reality more important, disappears. And this is a chance to escape for two hours. And sometimes that can be good. Recharge the batteries, clear the mind. And then now all of a sudden with the adrenaline pumping behind you, you're ready to go get back into the world to, to put your armor on again. But now with some of these other leagues where they're putting the politics front and center, I don't want to see that. And I'm not saying the royal eye, I guess. Uh, so that's why I think some, in some ways their viewership ha has plummeted. So uh, it'll be interesting to see again what's going to happen with the NFL when fans start coming back in. Uh, and all of a sudden, all of these things happen because in this vacuum, in this bubble, uh, this groupthink has been allowed to grow without other people who have a different group think not saying that they're racist or anything, but maybe they, they take pride in, uh, in America, take pride in, in the national anthem, take pride in the flag, uh, take pride in, in law and order. And not saying either side is wrong, but they're talking at each other. They're not talking with each other. And sports used to be uh, a short window where for the most part, everyone can kind of come together and, hopefully come together uh, put all those other thoughts to the side. And now all of a sudden it just seems like even there uh, we're being divided. We're being splintered. And I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen the first time the fans are in the stands, in the stadium, in the arena. And some of this happens, how are they going to respond? And how will the athletes respond? What will the media say? Because I, I, this is one reason I got from news to sports in sports. On a bad day, you lose. Tomorrow you get up, you play again. Maybe right. this season's over, you finish, you get relegated. You know what? Next, in two months' time, we're going to be back on the field. We're going to be fighting for promotion. In news on a bad day, people don't get up. And it's really hard to go to sleep. Uh, it, but the news has gotten, in my mind, even worse. As opposed to just 
reporting on tragedy. I mean, the old axiom, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, sometimes it seems like the media is sticking the dagger in themselves because there's not enough blood. And they, you talk about with, from COVID to protests to riots to what's going on politically to hurricanes. They're trying to create a panic. So you have to sit and stay glued. And so much of it is echo chamber to the point where this group is going to be watching this, this group's going to be watching that, but they're both glued 24 seven. Do, did you hear what happened here? And that's not the way to live life. I mean, you, you can't live life in a panic. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Now, it's interesting you said something which makes total sense. You know, sports has always been in this. That was an accident, probably. <laughs> Escapism is, is, a, is, I think it's a good word. It's appropriate, right? It's like uh, folks that are movie buffs or they, yeah. they take a movie for two hours to get away from whatever that reality is, right? And it recharges them or at least gives them an, a way to, uh, to take their mind off of things. So now that, you know, for Major League Soccer, for example, and, and getting very local now, we have the, um, you know, David Beckham um, went through a grueling four or five years to finally get, you know, the MLS team, uh, not in Miami where he wanted the stadium, at Lockhart to bring it back almost full circle. You talked about Lockhart and back in the NASL days with uh, the strikers, now we've got a major league soccer um, team that really didn't, hasn't, you know, hasn't even really started because of, of the pandemic. Um, wh what are you seeing there? I mean, um, with uh, Miami United, um, bringing it here locally with major league soccer, you're, you're telling me that major league soccer is thinking about maybe opening it up to next season or, or this season, end of the season, opening up? Well, the, there's, supposed to resume playing in just a couple of weeks, um, getting knocked out of the MLS's back uh, tournament rather early and disappointingly. Uh, and there is talk, or there are plans to have some fans come in. Uh, I doubt very seriously we're going to see anything approaching a full stadium yeah. before the end of this season and probably not at the start of the next. Uh, again, you can argue whether it's legitimate. You could argue whether the facts uh, play a role, but perception is reality. And there are lawyers out there who can make perception look a little bit different. Um, so they do need to be take caution, but they also do realize that the fans are the lifeblood. And especially in a situation like this, I think it was even longer, six or seven years before he even got close. And they are still, which I think is integral, unlike the Miami Fusion where there was a literal pissing match between the owner and Miami politicians, ended up with them moving to Fort Lauderdale. David Beckham still has uh, plans, still has goals, still has dreams uh, of building a stadium in Miami uh, and keeping the Fort Lauderdale Stadium, maybe taking part of the stadium away, who knows, whatever. But it's still a, a beautiful field and beautiful stadium uh, for their USL team and for whatever other things go on. But they want to be in Miami, and that's still uh, part of their goal, politics excluded. Um, but they haven't even played a game yet at home. I know their, their Fort Lauderdale team has uh, played a couple of games, and they're about to, to do that at the end. But again, uh, you just think about – and he's probably not a bad guy, I don't say to idolize, but to look at, because he didn't have an easy life growing up, but he worked hard at what he did. He wasn't the greatest at everything, like Lionel Messi you're talking about, but he became very good at several things to the point where he was integral – to, to Manchester United, uh, to England, uh, eventually, even though... To the LA Galaxy, for sure. And even Real Madrid, for a point. And Real where, Madrid, yeah. Where they thought, well, you know what, he's, he's too busy counting money, and then he came back from injury early to help lead them uh, to a championship. Uh, so it, that, that focused determination that he has. And also, there's, a, there's not a fake optimism, but like I said, it is what it is. And he basically got to the point where he was days away from seeing his, his team play uh, its very first game, and then the pandemic led to the lockdown. So he still tried to keep the optimism throughout, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of the fans have stayed on board, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, again, you're right. You, you take a look at everything that's going around, and there's so much potential there, but no one really knows what's going to happen next. I and mean, when's the next shoe going to fall? Yeah. How close are the commissioners? And, and you know some of this as well. Um, looking at, um, you know, public health administration 
and 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 what you know what the the data and the science is is saying about um, you know the vaccines that are on on their way. There's about 162. There's I think seven vaccines that are sort of at trials. Mm-hmm. Um, but Although, there were 162 that started, and I think I, I the last I heard was there was like six that are are almost like uh, you know at, are showing some good signs. Um, Although Johnny, I mean, you think about this. Like I mentioned, even the common cold is a coronavirus. The coronaviruses have been in, in the world before we were. Do you know how many successful vaccines there are for coronaviruses? Zero. We've never had a vaccine for a coronavirus. There's a very good chance we will never have a vaccine for a coronavirus. As they mutate, et cetera. Uh, you talk even about the flu, that changes every year. And they hope they pick the right recipe to stop that year's version. So uh, again, people are, they should still be working on that. I mean, it, we wouldn't have solved polio. We wouldn't have solved or, or found solutions for tuberculosis and things like that along the way if doctors and, and those people had not continued the research when it appeared to be impossible. Uh, but we can't go around waiting for a vaccine. Uh, we can't just go around waiting like the plague. Well, everyone who was susceptible is now dead. Let's get back to life. I mean, you got to kind of realize, and it it sounds clinical, uh, it's uh, just that risk relationship. How much risk are you willing to accept? Uh, You walk out the door, there's a risk. You you get in the car, there's a risk. Uh, You take this job over that. You go to this school over that. You ask this girl out or for a date, et cetera. You get married. Um, There's risks to everything. And everyone has their own. But from your question with the commissioners, um, I'd say they're paying attention to that. What they're really paying attention to, they're trying to put their pulse, their finger on the pulse of the public. Uh, part of that has to do with facts, science, medicine. Part of that has to do with politics, lawyers, because you do something reckless and there's a lawsuit waiting. Um, and part of it's just humanity. They don't want to lead to someone's death unnecessarily. Right. So, uh, they're trying to find that and, and to ride that wave to do just enough of what the public is willing to accept. Um, and that's why, again, I think in certain situations, the PSG, the two cup games they had, there were 5,000 people at the Stade de France, this giant monstrosity of a stadium uh, that was built for the World Cup uh, with just this tiny amount of fans. It made a difference. It was nice to actually have to be able to listen to real fans, to watch something happen and watch real fans celebrate, even if they were sitting six or seven seats apart, just to have um, some reality to it. And I think that's, again, what's going to happen. Major League Soccer is going to open up a couple of thousand, then maybe 10,000, maybe to get to 25 or 50%. It'll be, like I said, it'll be really interesting to the point where they say, okay, uh, the public is willing to accept well, you look at the airplanes. Even now, certain airlines are open up those middle seats again. Part of it could be economics, but part of that also realize that there are people who want to get somewhere from here to there in this amount of time that are willing to accept that risk. Uh, and it's a decision we all have to make for ourselves. For the commissioners, they have to make it not just for themselves, not just for the league, for the players, for everyone who, who works, and for the fans that would come in to attend. So maybe that would express the reason why they're being a little bit more cautious. Right. And this and the sponsors too, because yeah. the money, the, the 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 TV rights, right? So no one wants a tragedy or blood on their hands. True. And then have we have, we live in a cancel nation. Yes. Where then all of a sudden you you got sponsors canceling because Well, you, we live in a cancel nation if you're willing to be canceled. Um if you put yourself in a situation where you're vulnerable to being canceled. Um I know certain people with Trader Joe's basically refuse to be canceled. And yeah. you know what? People, that's a very good example. Yeah. Goya would be another one where you ended up having a boycott. Um, and I guess it, it, it all depends mm-hmm. if you let other people, other people's view of you define you, you're always going to be vulnerable to that. Now, uh, again, from a, a, you can understand why a company would be hesitant because so much of it has to do with public perception and they're, they're afraid that little blip could lead to a plummet. Um, and you don't want to aggravate. You don't want to antagonize. You do want to be a good corporate citizen in some ways. You do want to be a good sports citizen. Um, and 
I, no one out there wants to, as you said, go out and, and, and lead to something unnecessarily bad. So again, they're, they're trying to be cautious. So, you know, kind of to, um, to bring this a bit to a conclusion, what, what would you say, um, you know, you're seeing in, in sports journalism right now uh, because of what we're going through? What, what, are, what, are you, what are you seeing people um, sort of, um, you know, out of, I, I don't want to say the word pivoting, but yes, sort of reinventing themselves too. Being, being the fact that we know that right now we're having sports uh, sort of uh, in a different mode because of what we're going through with the, the pandemic. Um, for, for those that are listening that are thinking about getting into career in sports journalism or, you know, or, or have thought about, about that, what would be sort of your, 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 your bit of, uh, you know, advice or words of wisdom for them? I would, well, first of all, on my, on my blog, philshane.com slash blog, there's one I have there specifically more for play-by-play -play announcers, um, where I kind of go through my starting 11 and even I think throw in five, five rules on the bench, uh, never get in the way of the game, understand you're not the star that the game is, uh, set up your color person so that they can succeed. Uh, remember, you're basically just there to make sure play, people don't flip the switch and they stick around through the commercials. Um, just little things. But from a bigger perspective, and even more so, there's a couple of things that are out there. Uh, I can't remember how many people. I heard some rumors it was up to 5,000 that Telemundo just let a ton of people go. Uh, because of the economic situation. This economy, even before the coronavirus and the lockdown, was in a bad situation, if you will. Not even bad. It was an evolving situation. Mm -hmm. Because before it used to be, you had these giant cable conglomerates. And you had these giant production companies. And the two giants would get together and work out something that was good for them. And you had to pay 150 bucks a month for it whether you wanted to or not. Um, then all of a sudden, I guess, guerrilla economics to the point where you ended up getting the slings and the fubos, the YouTube TVs, PlayStation TV. Uh, you ended up getting gold TVs and being sports. Uh, uh, and Streaming came over, right? Streaming OTT. really took on a, a huge part of... And part of that, again, technology, because technology. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 years ago, people didn't have gigabit streams coming in so they were stuck with what was coming in on the cable of the satellite now all of a sudden most people have an internet connection in their home where they can they have that luxury of being able to pick and choose sometimes legally piracy is also a bit an issue uh which is again i think one of those situations where the companies have had to adapt and those who don't adapt die or are severely crippled and become vulnerable to others so you have all of those people that I mentioned, say from Telemundo, that were laid off. What happened at BN before? What's happened at ESPN, et cetera? So you have to realize there could be some negativity and there's going to be a long stream. Remember, you're not the only one that's going for it. So kind of make sure you clearly define what your goal is because that's going to be what has to keep you going through the rough times. But also because of that technology. I mean, I'm just looking at what's going two guys, Clay Travis, Jason Whitlock, for example. And Clay started OutKick. Jason just left, uh, well, left ESPN, left Fox, now has joined him with that to the point where guerrilla media, in a way, and you can, Barstool Sports, uh, you can go out and do it yourself. If you find your niche right. and that niche is something that other people are interested in, and 99% of the time, there's going to be enough people that are interested in. You just now need to get better at presenting it, get better at marking it, get better at delivering it. If you can do all of that, you don't need an ESPN. You don't need a La Liga. You don't need a Comcast. You can do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, that's empowering. So, uh, again, it's on one hand, you have this crippling economy that is also empowering people to do things on their own. And, and again, I guess that's what comes from the perception. If you have a dream and you continue working towards that dream, you're not going to let a little thing like getting laid off deter you. 
it's you're just going to have to tack into the wind a little bit, find a, an alternative, just keep moving forward. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's true. And I know you've done that in your own career and you're doing that right now. So for people that want to learn more about you that need some work, um, you know, for consulting, voiceover, or mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, your, your, your services, how can they find you? Where can they find you? Well, pretty much uh, just to stay out in touch. And I, I love interacting with people, sports fans or otherwise. I mean, uh, if you know a good recipe for key lime pie, especially if it's keto, that would be awesome. Um, uh, if you love golf, I'm not so sure golf loves me, but, uh, could be anything. And of course with soccer broadcasting on Twitter at Phil Shane, uh, P H I L S C H O E M. Uh, also, uh, I'm on Facebook on Instagram, but probably the easiest way is on my website, P H I L S C H O E M.com, Phil Shane.com. And you can write me a note at Phil at Phil Shane.com, but, uh, still doing sports broadcasting, had been doing some USL stuff uh before this and maybe get a chance to do that as well in addition to uh all the la liga and and liga stuff that's keeping me busy copa libertadores about ready to get back underway which will be yeah, fun so. um but uh as you mentioned with voiceovers with narration with consulting and coaching if you're a, a young up-and-coming broadcaster even someone that's been doing it just want someone else to take a listen hey what can i do to improve, what do I need to do to get better? Uh, just reach out and touch. I'd love to see if I, if we can do something together. And Perfect. I appreciate you asking me. This is fun. And you know what? Maybe we can flip this around. I'll ask you on my podcast one of these days. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that, I'd, I'd love that. And so, you know, Phil Shane, um, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I know you got to probably jump on a, a CRXXM or another project like you mentioned to me. Um, and uh, one last question that I'm going to ask you, right? So prediction, who do you predict uh, to, to win um, upcoming season of, of Major League Soccer and or La Liga mm. from, from, what you're, from, from what you're hearing? In, in I, your thought it was, I thought it was going to be something easy like Champions League, which didn't look that easy before, but now I, I'm going to lean. Champions League as well. Yeah, I'm going to kind of lean Manchester City just because they knocked off the team I thought was going to put it together in Real Madrid, uh, which again shows how much one and this is a great point also to take. One thing the sports can teach us is Sergio Ramos, who is maybe, it was not the greatest player. He's mm -hmm. skillful in so many areas, but what it, his, it's his personality and his drive that rules all of that into one. He was not available, and, and Real Madrid proved vulnerable. Uh, the first loss they've had since play started up again, and it's the one that ended their season. So with that in mind, looking ahead to the next La Liga, I wouldn't be surprised to see Real Madrid do it again. Just because I think uh, Zinedine Zidane has built together a team that's relatively young, has some good core experienced people in the spine. Uh, if Kareem Benzema goes down injured, if Casemiro goes down injured, if Ramos goes down injured, anything can change. But I'd say that they have what it takes for Barcelona. They're going through. They're going to have to reinvent themselves in some ways. Re reinvent. Um, and I think those are really the only two teams that could challenge uh, for Major League Soccer. Even though they stumbled at the end of the tournament, what Bob Bradley's done with LAFC, I mean, they play such an entertaining football and an effective football for the most part. But uh, again, they're still in the midst of this craziness and who knows what's going to happen. Like, for example, Inter-Miami has all these games to make up. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have to find some way to do it and, and try and do it with the roster that they have. Uh, but I, I'd say LAFC would be up there. But even looking at some of these teams like Columbus and Minnesota, who you never would have predicted, uh, Philadelphia, you never would have predicted. Now, coming together, maybe this is something that they can build on and challenge. But LAFC looks hard to beat. Yeah, those are good predictions. Okay, so uh, Barcelona, yeah, definitely. They, that's my team. And I, I, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that they uh, get their act together. Um, well, it's kind of cool when you think about it. They're going to play Bayern Munich in the next round. And it probably won't happen, but he was on the bench. Kid out of Miami named Conrad de la Fuente. Uh, Haitian parents and moved to Barcelona when he was a, a youngster, uh, but still in the U.S. Wow, local story in yeah. Barcelona. Yeah, U.S. national team. And uh, was actually on the bench for Barcelona's game against Napoli. And it would be kind of interesting because you have Alfonso Davies, who's actually starting for Bayern Munich now, this youngster out of Canada. And you have Conrad de la Fuente, who's not that far away from the first team. Uh, so you could have an American against uh, a Canadian in, in the Champions League playing for these two giant teams. So uh, I love seeing like to see North American uh, players 
making it to the Deservedly. Uh, Christian Pulisic uh, deserves everything that's happened to him. I think in some ways he's the exception because yes. not everyone can have two parents that played the game to a high level. Not everyone can have someone like a Steve Klein to coach them along the way. Not everyone who can have uh, an economic and structures, structural support where their parents can let them go across uh, to Germany as, as a youngster uh, to polish their skills. But MLS is getting better at doing this themselves. Now if they can just put some of these kids into actually play, because that's where you really learn, um, mm -hmm. the future looks bright. That's great. Okay, Bill, I took a little bit more of your time than needed to, I'm sure, but I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And so, um, you know, thanks, thanks again for this, this uh, opportunity to, to chat a bit. Anytime, Johnny. I appreciate it and all the best.